Hey there, I'm Pete Townsend, and this is Money Never Sleeps. We look inside the minds of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is sponsored by Philip Lee, one of Ireland's fastest growing corporate law firms and expert advisors at the heart of the Dublin and London startup, fintech, and crypto communities. On the show this week, we've got... Hi guys, I'm Philippe Pereira, and I'm CEO and co-founder of Crowdclass. And hello, I'm Mari Frad, and I'm co-founder and CMO of Crowdclass. Crowdclass is a Web3 protocol for online education using the power of blockchain, tokenization, composability, and the metaverse to create new monetization models for online educators and better learning environments for students to grow and develop. Crowdclass are the third of 10 founding teams forming the Launchable Web3 Techstars Accelerator class of 2022 that we've got on the show over the next few months. In this episode, we talk to Philippe and Mario about the crisscrossing of their lives and careers with that of their co-founder and CTO, Bruno Costa, and how that has resulted in the formation of the Crowdclass founding team. The shortcomings in the online education experience today for content creators, instructors, and students, the longer-term vision for Crowdclass, and how Crowdclass will get to market in 2022. All right here on Money Never Sleeps. Why don't we start with Philippe and have you walk us through your backstory and how you got to this point, yeah? yeah. Perfect, of course. Uh, happy to do that, Pete, and thanks for uh, for having us here. Well, in, in, in short, I I was born in, in, in Porto, uh, Portugal, and I, I guess I can, I can start my backstory in the university years. I studied software engineering, which brought me to the tech world, <laughs> but I actually never... <laughs> coded after that but during during my university years i was very involved in clubs and student associations and i was actually particularly involved in a european group that was very focused on organizing activities for student development and that kind of led into when i finished school and college i i actually founded a, a small startup focused on delivering non-formal education training and workshops for youth it was called get skilled and and that's how my passion for education kind of started the startup ended up being closed but later on i moved into the more corporate world worked a couple of years as a consultant was a corporate trainer at kpmg and and then i kind of felt the need to go back to the startup world that's when I moved back into, into the startup world. I moved to London, joined Hillgate, which was a marketplace for freelance strategy consultants, was a salesperson and a business development manager there. Eventually came back to Portugal, continued to work on startups, was leading sales at ProdSmart, where I had a chance to scale a team and, and revenue of up to 1 million ARR. And, and at some point, I was starting to get more and more curious about this Web3 world, crypto world, and, and I moved into a protocol, a Bpro Network, which is a Web3 protocol for decentralized software development, where I was the head of ecosystem there. That kind of made me go deep into the rabbit hole of Web3 at some point, meeting uh, again Mario, working together with uh, with Bruno, kind of laid the final foundation to getting started our own project. And it's this mix of experiencing Web3 corporate startups training <laughs> that kind of uh, made us found Crowdclass and where we are today. Totally. Yeah. And I could see that in your background and going through all of that, Philippe, in that Seeing even before Get Skilled with Best Porto, 
with a nonprofit organization yes. and getting some of that nonprofit into your blood yeah. before you became a capitalist, right? Which is a yes. good thing. <laughs> no, it, 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 gave me, it gave me good foundations, actually. Absolutely. It, it, it did. It definitely did. And then the teaching and training with the startups you were working with, doing some pre-sales support, obviously teaching and training when you're doing pre-sales support, you know, that true startup bones with ProdSmart and then seeing that part of LinkedIn yeah. where you've got some skills listed and people yeah. will, you know, give you a thumbs up for that, right? So for Philippe, team management, public speaking and training delivery, like those were your top three. It's like, okay, That's... you kind of get all this and see, see it all coming together. So I love the classroom environment. I, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. It, it's electric. It's energetic. Hopefully most of the time. And even sometimes when I was delivering training to people or delivering a guest lecture, you raise your tone of voice when you make eye contact with somebody who's falling asleep, you know, or you don't make eye contact with them because their <laughs> eyes are closed. Right. Hopefully not too many of us get into that situation. But listen, I, I get your angle of coming at this, Philippe. So thank you. Mario, why don't we do the same thing with you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, sounds good. So hello, everyone, and thank you very much, Pete, for having us. So a little bit on myself. So I'm born and raised in sunny Lisbon, Portugal, much sunnier than uh, than Porto, I will I will add. It's true. I have it's, to say that it's true. Yeah. So in the <laughs> south. So I, I'm picking up on university, too. So I studied physics engineering, right? Mm. And I studied in Portugal and in the Netherlands, in Eindhoven. And during the, the college years, I was in the same institution as Flip. So it was in the same international uh, student association that tried to give education opportunities to to students and that's how we met actually so and and it's also where i met my wife and flip was there when i met her okay. many many years ago in these events so before that i was in music i was always very actively involved in in music before that and then you know continuing like i ended up specializing in nanotechnologies and medical instrumentation i i, I did some you know academic research i worked at the hard tech, what we would today would be called a hard tech startup in the medical field. You know, and after doing some publishing, I, I decided to switch and switch to, to business. There was a company that I had, I had, I had seen before called Procter & Gamble, a big FMCG company. And I started working in marketing by chance because when they called me up, it was for a logistics position. Uh, and I said, okay, but then I was traveling when they called me for the interview. So when I came back, it's like, oh, we have marketing. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and, and that's basically how it started, you know, my career over 10 years in, in marketing and sales, basically. And, and in Procter, it was, I was really lucky to, to, to be able to be selected to enter there because it, it has a very deep culture of training, coaching, peer-to-peer teaching. It's like, it's very, very, very strong in the business. It's something I always appreciate and I did a bit of. And so when, when I left to move to Iceland, which is where my, my wife's from, and uh, I, I moved to just to go to Iceland to her. And uh, I started working at uh, basically like a Nestle type company there. And I did marketing, did sales, did a lot of development because there, there were improvement opportunities, people development, improvement opportunities in like in production, in finance, in marketing, in sales. And then from there, I moved to Coca-Cola in Iceland, but I didn't stay too long because I had a, a family issue in Portugal. So I moved back <laughs> to Portugal. And, and I started working at uh, the Carlsberg uh, Brewer in Portugal. So my first position was as head of innovation management. So I was basically, me and my team, we were designing and operating the innovation operating system, let's put it like that, of the company. Also with lock, strong connections to, you know, outside ecosystems like universities. And after that, I took basically marketing and product for the core business of Carlsberg. And in between these things, you know, 
I've always had, you know, I did quite a bit of uh, corporate training inside the companies where I was at, also to other institutions and, and other companies outside of where I was working, and also had a, some strong connections to universities and did, did a bit of lecturing. So, so yeah, so when basically I was quitting my, my job to move back to Iceland in January of this year, a few months before, me and Philippe started talking because I, I went to him because of uh, we trying to find someone to, to hire for a position in the, in the company. And then we started talking again about Web3, and I already had, I had some knowledge of it, but he deepened my knowledge into it, and we jumped in on this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and with, with you, Mario, and seeing you know, some of the, the core at the beginning, just like what we mentioned with Philippe, with that first experience after university being a nonprofit, and then in training, you know, that hardcore research and being able to understand what's going on in certain situations, but then driving that into product management, speaking six languages as you do, right? The brand management, strong capabilities there, obviously all of this from a marketing perspective, innovation, it just seems like you guys are a good match. Now, the fact that you've been friends already before all of this, Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've just kind of shared some of that, that listen, Felice brought you into this and, you know, getting you into Web3 and getting you thinking about this. And, but you always had these training bones as part of what you were doing in this delivery of content. Why did it make sense for you guys to, to come together to do this? That's a good question. And, 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 and again, it's like me and Mario, we always kept in touch uh, over the years. I was in Porto, he was in Lisbon, but we, we met in these events that we had, but we kept in, in, in contact through the years. And so, like Mario said, right, at, at, at some point, I was getting deeper into Web3. Mario was also on, on the process of, of living and, and looking at new things to, to, to do. I was already thinking on what could we do on, on the Web3 stage. And, and we just start naturally chatting uh, about opportunities, ideas, and, 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 and things started to, uh, to click. And in the meantime, Bruno also came into the picture, which is our other co-founder, is our CTO. And Bruno, he was also part of this association in Porto. He's a very close friend of mine for many, many years. We studied together in college. He took a more traditional software development career <laughs> than, I, than I did, although he did, uh, did some work in, in, in some growth hacking roles. In, he was mostly a software uh, developer. He was a freelancer, uh, always with an entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, very enthusiastic about blockchain too and crypto yeah. and, and 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 at some point me and Mario we were discussing our ideas for uh, for 2020 and we had this idea for for crowd class. Then I was speaking with Bruno on a total parallel conversation in one day, and he said, "Oh, next year I'm I'm also uh, going to to look into working on more opportunities related with Web3." And I was like. Well, I am looking for a CTO, <laughs> you know, and he said, you are, <laughs> can you tell me more about it? Yeah. And, um, and, and then Bruno came into the picture and, and, and we kind of all connected very well. Again, we have very similar values, which kind of create the glue between all of us, but then we have a very interesting skill set among all of us, yeah. right? Maybe I'm a bit more the generalist here who's, who's kind of giving the overall stewardship of of the boat but mario has a great knowledge on marketing on on communication on research like you mentioned we've been doing a lot of 
research practices, even on the product side uh, of, of things. And, and Bruno comes with, with all the, the technological background. He's a full stack developer working on front end or, or, or back end. And kind of this skill set kind of complements all of us very, very Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And it's, it's good. And then, it's good that you brought, it's good that you brought up Bruno and we, you know, can't forget about Bruno. And, you know, I, obviously. We do talk about Bruno. We do I, talk uh, about Bruno. We do we talk do. about Bruno. We do. Bruno Costa, big shout out to Bruno. I, you know, obviously this was the first leap that he made with you guys. I did see him make the second leap, which was off the Barna Pier into Galway Bay yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> I had got in the day before he, he went in the day after and uh, yeah, so awesome. What Mario, from your perspective, why why does this make so much sense? Yeah, yeah. So when I think you know we were all at that stage that we all wanted to do something of our own, you know, where we can bring our unique perspective in a way that creates value to the world. And we were at the stage of our careers where we it kind of all blended together that we would want to that we could do this and that we would all wanted to do this at at the same time. Second, you know, we all have this education backbone into us. And as we all wanted to do this, and as we wanted to do something in Web3, right? So suddenly we got the opportunity to blend these two things together, right? This deep, this education backbone from back in the past, this Web3 knowledge that we have and other business and marketing knowledge. So I think it was like the combination of these things that happened together in time, plus the availability, plus the right level of maturity, I would say, of the technologies are coming into it and, the, and, of, and of market interest that makes a lot of sense that we bet on it now. And I think there's another thing that triggered this, which was, it's not when we talk about education, but, you know, because edu online education, particularly after COVID really took, you know, like the, it really took a leap when it comes to the importance to society. So, you know, there was a big mix of in societal, environmental and personal factors that I think means that this is the right thing for us to do now and for us to try to make the world a better place in our own way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just got back from a breakfast meeting with uh, a friend who I hadn't seen since before COVID. And it's that, you know, we, we were both talking about how much this has changed everything in terms yeah. of how you're spending your day. And that hour that I used to waste going into town for meetings that I probably didn't need to do in the city center of Dublin. And then an yeah. hour to get home at best. Sometimes if you're lucky, it's 45 minutes. That's two hours of your day. When I said, I'd much rather just have breakfast with you <laughs> rather than yeah. spend two hours, you know, going, going back and forth. But you could think about education and your commitment to education in the same light and how you actually go about learning and developing um, yourself yeah. and, and your career. So that's a perfect segue, Mario. So thank you for that. Why don't you guys tell us about Crowd Class, what it is, why it's unique, and where it's all going to go, yeah? Okay, sure. Crowd class, it's, it's very unique because we are a, a, a ad tech and a Web3 startup at, at the same time, right? We're not maybe the typical Web3 native company because we are trying to address real-world problems using Web3 as, as, as a backbone. And those problems exist on the e-learning and online uh, learning world, right? So our, our main goal is to kind of build the e-learning ecosystem of the future, unlocking the world's learning potential and bring online education into F3. This actually means better monetization for teachers, incentivized learning for students, and also providing financial access to provide education to underserved communities, right? This is kind of the core goals for, uh, for, for CrowdClass. And we want to use Web3 as a way 
to change education, right? And we want to leverage technology and the principles because there's a lot of principles around Web3. Web3 is not just a technological innovation to address several issues that exist in the learning market. And and, and detailing those, we started to look a lot into the existing learning industry, which is actually one of the fastest growing industries in the world, especially after COVID. It is a $220 billion market. It's going to double on the next five years. The number of investment made on EdTech on, on the last year was 4x the, the previous year. So there's a lot of disruption happening in the learning industry. And why? Because... Although it's a 15, 20 uh, year old industry, there are consistent issues over and over again. And we, we usually highlight three, which are first, very high instructor fees, right? Some of the e-learning platforms that, that exist take up to 75% of take rates in exchange for distribution of courses for, for online instructors, right? Which, which is absolutely huge. We, we speak a lot about the creator economy. We speak a, a lot about rewarding better creators and, and removing the, the middleman. And on online education, the middleman gets 70%, which is whenever I I tell this to anyone who is not in the industry, the the reaction is always like, wow, really? So that's one. A second persistent issue is actually student engagement, right? And this is very particularly focused, not on the business side, but on the the actual mission of your learning and online education, right? Student engagement is incredibly low. Less than 10% of the people actually finish the courses that they start. And, and it's, it's something, as we speak with more and more instructors, passionate teachers, they care about this. They want to increase the engagement of their students. They want their students to be engaged and, and they are looking for ways to also help them uh, achieve that. And, and finally, and as I said, kind of a more impactful problem is that I'll, we're starting to see some solutions targeting these points that I mentioned engagement and fees, but in the end, the solutions that we see around are more expensive courses with less access to students. And then what happens is that access to quality education becomes quite expensive and not accessible to that many people in the world, which when we think about the original promise of online education, which is provide education access to everyone in the world, then when we start gating courses at $500 or $1,000 of access, then you're not really opening up the doors to education for, for everyone in the world, right? So these issues continue to exist on a 20-year-old industry. And when we start to think about Web3, tokens, blockchain, you know, you, you realize that Web3 is all about new revenue models and new economic models, right? It's, it's all about incentive mechanisms. It's, it's about open and transparent finance. It's also a lot about community, social uh, interaction, peer-to-peer. And these are all principles and technological advancements that make a lot of sense to solve these issues that I just mentioned, right? And, and, and so that's how we came up with the, with the idea of, of, of CrowdClass. And in the end, our big vision is to make CrowdClass this ecosystem. And we have three main elements that we are envisioning on on this ecosystem. The first is a a decentralized protocol to distribute online courses, right? With with a token-based economy that's particularly designed to reduce the fees that we charge instructors to drive student acquisition and guarantee that there's a, a shared benefit for the network growth among all users, kind of a user-owned learning network. 
The second one is an open app ecosystem to give tools for instructors to build what we called Web3 powered courses, which are courses that have gamification elements that have learn to earn rewards elements to them that uh, that have community learning elements and peer-to-peer -peer learning elements to that all of this designed to drive engagement incentivize positive behaviors in the students and finally our third element of this ecosystem is that we also want to create pools for direct funding and open in a transparent way to allow sponsors and benefactors, because there are a lot, and we've spoken with some, that are interested in helping and financing education for others, but they prefer to do it in a more transparent manner, which currently doesn't happen if you go through typical institutions. We are black boxes regarding the funds, how the funds are uh, are distributed and so on. This is what we envision for CrowdClass. It's it's a new ecosystem with Web3 as a backbone, but targeted to real world issues and, and, and worldwide issues. And, and yeah, we are now working on our MVP and we are planning to release the, the first product to kickstart this pretty soon. And, and maybe Mario can speak a little bit more about it. It is, is, is been actively working on our first product. Sure. Uh, Hey everyone, this is Pete. Let me tell you about the folks at Philip Lee. A few years ago, I was at my first venture capital industry dinner in Dublin, and honestly, I felt a bit lost. I bumped into Andrew Tizali, one of the partners at Philip Lee. He bought me a pint and introduced me to the team, and they took me under their wing. That take-you-under-their-wing approach has been what I've heard consistently from fintech and crypto startups who I know have worked with Philip Lee in Dublin and London to help them wrap the right legal framework around their business, fundraising, and regulatory needs. And I can't recommend them enough. Get in touch with the team at philiplee.ie or on moneyneversleeps.ie slash philiplee to learn more. Yeah, so our first MVP is we're focused on solving the engagement issue, particularly, and getting clues on how to solve the other ones, okay? So what we are basically doing is we're creating a tool that allows any online teacher that has whatever type of online course, wherever it is hosted, that allows them to issue crypto rewards to increase classroom engagements and differentiate their course from the competition. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. So it's a tool where a teacher can register their course and they can set up types of rewards that increase engagement. So what, what does it mean to increase engagement and why is this important? One thing that is missing on the online uh, education part is the human factor. Right, So when you go to a physical class, you kind of make an unspoken contract with everyone that you are going to be there, that you are going to participate. But in online, often people are like hiding, you know, and not, and not showing up. And what, what we know for a fact, and if, and if you look at like constructionist learning movements, for example, or best practices in pedagogical uh, circles, is that peer-to-peer -peer learning, where people learn with other people and discovery learning are essential for better outcomes when it comes to education. And that is something that is lacking uh, in a lot of online learning. Not even talking about, you know, if you go to self-paced courses, less than 10% of people actually finish the courses. But before that, we think that the experience can be vastly improved if we can bring this human factor to full. So that's what we want to do with this first tool. We're using technology and we're using incentives to trigger intrinsic motivations that will make learning outcomes better. So we will have a series of rewards 
to incentivize students to have the right behaviors that make the experience better. For example, incentivizing questions, incentivizing helping other students, incentivizing, you know, sharing great case studies. These types of things can make more of a, a difference, we believe, than just incentivizing outcomes, right? Because the research yeah. says something different. Yeah, yeah, you got me thinking deeply now. So, you know, some of the easiest things it feels like you can do with this is, and it's because it's education, and I think this just makes it so logical that you put something like this in place. So obviously we're talking right now, and mm -hmm. if this were on Zoom, we have the option of creating a transcript for that, or on any one of these mediums, we can create mm -hmm. a transcript of that, and we can mm -hmm. track and see who's speaking. And if you're mm -hmm. doing online education, and you're engaging with other people in your class, you can't just speak for the sake of speaking as if you were going to be rewarded for that. So that's just the idea, right? So who is engaging in the class and that then creates a ranking of who gets rewarded in, mm -hmm. you know, in certain ways, right? And if you think about how this is done in the Web3 community with Discord and seeing people level up in Discord and be able to get access to the whitelist and be able to get access mm -hmm. to say the next level up of NFTs, there are bots that are run that looked at, okay, how is this person engaging? So you can apply that same thing to education. It's probably a heck of a lot more straightforward to do it, to be able to assess how people are engaging. I'd say automating that and scaling it is going to be the, is going to be the big challenge. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and that's the thing, you know, how do you, how do you scale this? That is one of the challenges that we're, we're trying to solve. Cause you know, when you have a small course of five to 10 people, cohort-based, maybe it's easier to ensure engagement. But when you have a course with 1,000 people, 10,000 people, self-paced, that is much harder. But I will add one thing there, you know, in, at least in our approach and from the research that we've, that we've done, you know, you don't want to make this a competitive game. I mean, there is always a little bit of competition, right? You want to make this a community thing, right? Where, where when everyone is working towards a goal, you're going to achieve it. So for example, when you think of rewards, maybe you don't reward the best question, you reward great questions, right? Just it's these little nuances of how to use technology and financial or, or other crypto incentives to trigger intrinsic motivations and peer-to-peer -peer learning experiences. Like this bound between the technology and the human factors, it's very interesting and delicate to, to get it right. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like how bonuses can be paid in the corporate world where you've got a portion of your bonuses paid on the achievement of group objectives and then a portion of your bonus that is paid on the achievement of individual objectives, right? You yes. can do, do the same thing in a, in, a, in a classroom setting with community yes, but, approach. but maybe here, for example, some rewards can actually be given by the students themselves to other students. Yeah. Right. So, for example, so, yeah, that's the type of thing that we are developing and owning with with several teachers for this first product. Promoting peer to peer is super important for us and, 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 and promoting peer to peer behaviors, especially on online education. We've been seeing that that it works very well. Right. So how can we incentivize those types of behaviors? How can we create tools that reward community-based behaviors, peer-to-peer uh, -peer and social learning uh, behaviors, because sometimes, and not sometimes, a lot of times, when you learn the most is from the people next to you, right? You absorb the knowledge from, from a teacher, or sometimes it's a subject matter expert, but then where you actually acquire skills or, or the education actually sticks is through the interaction with your peers or through a peer that is maybe slightly a little bit ahead of you on the knowledge, 
can kind of help you get there, right? And incentivizing these behaviors for us, it's also very important for us and, and make sure that they are embedded in crawl class. And again, for us, that's Web3. These types of principles, they are also Web3 principles, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you're, you know, in the nature of Web3 and packing McCormick's definition of the developer and user owned internet orchestrated by tokens, yeah. that you have those that are developing educational content right? Mm -hmm. And letting them own that. And then those that are using educational content, whether it be the, the instructors, presenters, or the students themselves, and letting them have a piece of the value that's created out of all of this. And it's yep. distributing that out, right? Mm -hmm. the, the economics of it, and I just can't help but to think of Jeff Bezos and his saying of your take rate is my opportunity. And that 70% that take rate that you mentioned mm -hmm. is that the educational um, platform, you know, so you can bring down fees for this to a considerable extent while still driving, you know, a, a profitable community around this, right? Because that take rate is just so damn high right now. Yeah. yeah. And, th and, th and that's, you know, that's our bet, you know, our bet is that instead of the value going to the platform, you know, that we can bring the value to the students and that will actually decrease audience acquisition costs and that will make audience acquisition efforts more sticky because the value offer is that much higher for the for the students so it's a true you know student and teacher owns learning environment and not owned by a, a nameless brand platform yeah that's just skimming off the top well sorry not skimming off the top but not you skimming know. off it's uh, it's it's their it's the take rate it's the take rate it's, it's what take it rate. is for the marketing the availability the accessibility exactly and yeah, exactly. It's mostly used in marketing uh, or many times used in marketing in these platforms. All right. And for the longer term vision, right? Yes. You guys know I'm a fan of Ready Player One and yes. I'm you know, thinking about high school kids in the year 2045 are learning completely in a virtual world and that the school mm -hmm. that they go to is on a specific virtual planet because that all that they have on that planet are schools to keep the kids mm -hmm. out of trouble in the virtual world, right? And mm -hmm. all of your educational content is fully delivered in a virtual setting. What does mm -hmm. this look like for crowd class when we mm -hmm. start approaching the Ready Player One vision of all of this? Yeah. So, so I, 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 this is a fun question, Pete, and thank you for that. You know, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, first I'm talking a little bit about what we can look at the, at the metaverse for, for learning. And then second, what that, that can mean to us. You know, I think, you know, when you talk about metaverse learning and if, if people, you know, go on YouTube and search for learning in the metaverse, you will get the, the meta announcement video, you know, and, and imagine this world, you're learning about ancient Greece. And so you're going to ancient Greece, almost like, like a video game. And there's a bit of that, but I would, you know, I would highlight maybe two elements, you know, something like called the global human factor and fun, right? And, and talking a bit on, on this on this first one, you know, I think in in an age of you know globalized competition, globalized conflict nowadays, unfortunately, automation and AI, we think that you know I think that bringing the same level of quality education all over the world, it's something that will help teach everyone on how to navigate this new world and truly trigger the next stage of globalized you know both financial and societal evolution. So, you know, and what this can mean is that, you know, for example, right now, if I'm going to class, if I'm a kid and I'm going to a class, most of my colleagues are people from my neighborhood. But when I'm working and when I'm living, you know, it's a globalized world, right? So why aren't classes truly global? You know, I imagine I'm taking classes with people from Asia, from Africa, from South America, and we're doing this online. 
you know, but then there's a big difference that the metaverse allows, which is maybe you can do this and you can say you can do this in, a, in, you know, in our current environments. But the difference is that maybe after this, maybe I can go, for example, I can go together with them and live on adventures, right? I can go to the, you know, picking up on big fans, right? I can go to their metaverse stadiums with these people and I can live experiences with them. So you, you truly bring the human factor to education, but you can do it with the metaverse at a true global scale. So you bring the social delights and the social pressures of offline learning, but to a global scale. And this is something that we think the metaverse is uniquely positioned to do. And at the same level, I think there's a level here of composability, and we will bring it back to CrowdClass in a second, which is, you know, right now, if a teacher is in it's, it's his own island many times, right? So particularly K-12 teachers, you know, due to the pressures of current academic environments and in universities, you know, teachers are, they're great people, they're really passionate, but it's so bureaucratical. You know, if you want to change something, you need to go through five committees because you're, these are, are the way things are done, right? But suddenly in, in the metaverse, you know, maybe the teaching position is completely different. Maybe there's people, maybe there's creators, architects that have created learning, metaverse learning environments, right? It can be about math. It can be about physics, it can be about history. And when your function as a teacher or an educator is to be a metaverse guide. So you're guiding your students in a discovery journey in these more game-like environments and you're monitoring their progress and seeing where they need help and maybe showing them different ways like, oh, you're not getting it. Maybe we can go to this other world that someone else created and maybe you can learn it there or maybe it's this thing that you're more interested in. So it's more of a guide function in the discovery, in the facilitating the peer-to-peer -peer levels. And I'll go to this discomposability part in a, in a bit. And then the second factor, so this is a little bit on the composability, you know, what the human composability, the global one, and on the learning experience one. But also the other one is fun. You know, there's, there's the, the great late uh, Seymour Papert. He was an MIT researcher and the creator of the constructionist learning movement. And, you know, one of the things he said was that the reason most people don't like school is not because the work is hard, it's because it's boring, right? And we know people, adults or kids, they don't mind hard, you know? Like one of the most popular games right now is called Dark Souls. It's incredibly hard. And they don't advertise themselves on being easy. They advertise themselves on being hard and fun, right? And so we can come up with non-skeuomorphic ways of teaching that bring the fun in the way that you interact with others, in the way the subjects are explained, in the way that you discover the subjects. And then this can just vastly improve the experience at the global scale. So, uh, so we think these two elements, you know, will, will make a difference. And when you think of crowd class, right? So what we, on the long term, we have our MVP, we have our long-term ecosystem vision, right? So if we become, you know, if we have the economy and the protocol where content is registered, where content is hosted in a decentralized way, where, where the exchanges of values are through a certain blockchain uh, environment. For example, if one education creator creates an educational environment and then some, some educator guide brings students there and guides them through it, maybe part of the revenue that the guide makes can then flow back directly to the metaverse architect. Or maybe you will build a metaverse learning experience. For example, I wanna make a music school, right? But maybe what I'll do is that there are all these environments created, one to teach guitar, one to teach music theory, one to teach this. Why don't I just bring them, I just curate them, right? And I guide people through it. And then the revenue I make flows back to them in the appropriate shares, right? And we see ourselves as being, you know, a, a, a mediator of this exchange 
of, of value, both, fi both financial and on the learning, on the learning level. So this is what, what for us is very exciting. You know, this kind of new financial infrastructure, new composability uh, uh, infrastructure, and honestly bringing fun and bringing, you know, the human factor to education at scale. Absolutely. I can see how much things like VR headsets that mm -hmm. are used right now, mostly in a gamified environment, but when you put in an educational environment, you could see people are focusing, where are their eyes going, right? That is one of the newest developments in VR is how are people's eyes moving, right? Mm -hmm. And how are they breathing? How are they speaking? What is their tone of voice? There are things right now that people put into sales platforms that are recording a voice, hopefully mm -hmm. with permission, that mm -hmm. says, based upon the words this person is saying and their tone of voice, this is the kind of personality they are. So if this is the kind of personality they are, they will respond to certain sales techniques, right? Mm -hmm. You can use that in a much more humanitarian way with education to try to, mm -hmm. when is somebody bored, right? W do you need to change tone? Do you need to introduce different content based upon the fact that all these different sensations can be monitored by the instructor? There's just mm -hmm. so much opportunity there. Philippe, any, any thoughts from you on the longer-term vision? No, Mario gave a, a pretty good overview of what we think. And, and yeah, I, I think, again, crowd class is, like I mentioned in the beginning, our, our, our main vision is crowd class to be working as a backbone for these developments, as an economic layer for the learning industry of the future, right? But, uh, but yeah, and, and having an economic layer that's decentralized, that's based on, on smart contracts, then, then you can have experiences that are unified, but they can partake a little bit on the metaverse, a little bit on a Zoom call, a little bit on, on a forum, a little bit on a fun game that, and again, with a, a composable approach, they can all be tied together. Some, and that's also one, one very important aspect of, of, of crowd class. And, and, and as for the future of education in the metaverse, I, I, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there too. And, and we will certainly want to be, to be involved. I believe that VR headsets are on the tipping points to become commoditized. Yeah, they're not yet. They're, 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 too they're not yet. They're too clunky. They're, and, they're too and, clunky. You know, any, any vision around this space needs to be married with the expectation that VR headsets will evolve to the point where they will be something far more accessible and far more usable exactly. by people. So at, nowadays, everyone has a, a gaming console, right? Whether it's a PlayStation, Xbox, or Nintendo, or whatever, but almost every household has one of these. I'm, I'm pretty sure that in five years, every household will also have one or two VR headsets. Even if they are not always connected, they will be used for different experiences. And, and when that level of commoditization arrives, when they are more easier to use and not this big clunky thing, uh, a lot more experiences in the metaverse will appear. And education is totally primed for that. And, and, and we can see that happening in the next five years for sure. Bringing it back to the here and now, what do you guys see as the biggest challenge for 2022 and uh, hence your biggest focus? Yeah, so our, our biggest challenge and, and focus is this very simple. We want to finish our first version of the product, our MVP. We want to launch it. We want to test it. And we, we want to have teachers and educators using it, helping us improve it and grow a community around it. So that's 
we are 100% focused on, on that. We, we will release the first version on a private test phase by the end of May, beginning of June. And our main goal in 2022 is to have the product launched, being used and being iterated and continuously improved with, 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 user, with user feedback. Our continuous challenges and, and what we are working on is working on how we then transition this to the bigger ecosystem. There's a lot that we need to work on the econ economic side, on the economic model. So that's definitely one of the challenges that, that we see arising. And of course, I think one of the biggest challenges that we, we have and, and we set for our, our, ourselves is how can we make sure that we are actually improving learning? Okay, this is something that we really are focused as we are developing the product, developing the incentive mechanisms, developing the economy, doing fundraising, doing product development, hearing feedback from many people is, are we actually making something that makes learning better, right? We are trying to make peer-to-peer -peer learning work at scale, but again, we don't want to enter into a, a position where it's about the incentives or rewards more than the learning. No, uh, learning is the core. Personal development is the core. And, and we are conscious that it's a fine balance <laughs> and a fine line to navigate, but, but we know where we want to have. And that's, that's certainly a big challenge that, that we know is how can we make this work in a way that it's sustainable, that uh, it works for us, it works for the economy but it also works on the actual most essential part of, of the ecosystem, which is learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how do you measure all that Mario? So that when you are positioning this product out in the world and driving the marketing messaging around that, how do you actually position this to say we are improving learning? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. So the way we do it is, is through the engagement part, right? So that's where we, where we position ourselves is that online teachers are desperate for engagement because it knows, makes their life easier, makes the outcomes better. So that's what we do. We enable you to increase engagement in your class, right? Teachers, I mean, if you're, we're all humans here, you know, Flip has mentioned like the, the, the problems that we see in education where teachers are underpaid offline, it also happens online many times as we've, as we've seen, they're not capturing most of the value that they, that they create. And then on top of this, they go teach classes and most people have their cameras off. No one asks questions. No one asks this. So they know, you know, cause you know, in their heart, what they want. And also as like, you no know, anyone that is educated at any point, you know, you generally want people to learn and to come out of this better than before that they're able to do other things. Right. So. What people tell us often is the engagement part, is people interacting, is people interacting between each other. So that's what our message is very much about. That's what we're helping to promote. And then we have another sub layer, which is on differentiating their course from the competition, right? Because that's also an interest that the teachers have in one point. But right now it's the engagement part that we are positioning, uh, that we're positioning ourselves. We enable you to increase engagement in online classes through crypto rewards. Okay. That's, yeah. That's how it goes. That that's that's a killer point there because you can sit there in an online course with thirty other people, even if it is live and being delivered live, and yeah. not participate at all. But there, from culture to culture, the willingness to ask questions exactly. in a course differs considerably based yes. upon that culture's 
tendencies to not wanting mm -hmm. to put people out, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, uh, make a big deal about something. So sometimes people just don't ask questions. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's creating the environment where you can have this engagement. People yeah. just learn more because I learn more when someone asks that question, I'm afraid to ask. And yeah. you get that engagement. You get that back and forth going with the instructor and with exactly. student to student. So an yeah, online it, an online education can be a great equalizer there because you know a student that asks questions in a live class is not more valuable than a student who share a case study or has discussions in a forum, right? So how do we you know how do we bring all these types of people and all these different cultures into the fold and incentivize the behaviors in a way that brings everyone yeah. on board and creates a better experience for the learning community? Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of questions, the Yes. Final question that we like to ask everybody on this podcast is, what is one thing that people wouldn't expect to know about you? And Philippe, we will start with you. Uh, okay, that's an interesting question. I guess uh, I, I, I can share something about my teenage years that probably not many people actually know. Is that when I was, I still am, but when I was younger, I, I was a very big <laughs> fan of hip hop and, uh, and rap music. Yes, particularly mostly Portuguese, but also I still love the classics, and uh, I'm a big fan of Wu Tang Clan. And but I I, I actually have a hip hop crew where uh, where we have a band. We we did some uh, recordings that are lost in in some drawers, in in mine and a couple of friends' drawers. And, and yeah, I had a hip hop band. We wow. We 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 went a lot to 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 the. Local movement did some graffitis also. So, uh, wow, and, uh, so that's probably, awesome. That's probably something many people don't know, but but yeah, that's great. No, I'm right there with you, 1990s, <laughs> and and people know this about me because every episode of this podcast, for the most part, has been gets named after a hip hop track. So the last one with our friends from Big Fan yes. and, and shout out to Eugene O'Brien and Kurt Pittman was "Drop It Like It's Hot," right? The yep. NFT drop. So we're going to have to think of a good one for you guys. Mario, what about you? So, yeah. So if you've spoken with me for less than five minutes, you wouldn't have learned that I'm a big Eurovision fan, a big <laughs> Eurovision fan. So I've actually sent my voice as appeared on the Eurovision stage uh, last year. Iceland got fourth place and uh, the singer, Dadi Freyr, he actually asked people to send them recordings of their voice singing like six parts of the chorus. Of, uh, of like as a background vocals. And so I was the one of the people that sent the, one of the few hundreds of people that sent the voice and he put all of them there. So I appeared on the stage and this all comes from a big love for Eurovision, which I just think it's, it's, it's the greatest, just a, a festival of joy and inclusivity, you know, and a lot about what being, having this European, you know, inclusive spirit of celebration of differences that I really, really love. So I'm a big, big fan of Eurovision. Not that you ask, but I will say my favorite, my favorite for this year is the Dutch entry. I think they have a really nice, nice song. And I, and I know Pete, you know, you're living in Ireland for a while. I'm not a biggest fan of the Irish uh, entry, but I think it can still make it, you know, maybe 30th place, uh, okay. 20 something place. That's my, my prediction for the Irish entry. Yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, we had one other person on this podcast who gave that answer that they're a big, big fan of Eurovision. I forget who it is, but I will, I will find out and perhaps connect Fine. you with them. Please, um, Ireland are the the recordists of Eurovision. I think though, 
Yeah, it was like going back to 94. It was like when I was first in Ireland, in Galway in 1994, mm-hmm. whoever it was, I forget who it was, won that year. Uh, it might have been 93, 94 that they won. But guys, listen, it's been an awesome chat. Thank you so much. Thank you, I feel Pete. so much more closely connected now, which is a good thing. So really looking forward to it's having you guys back in Dublin in June. And yes, but before that, I know we'll be uh, talking a hell of a lot more. Yeah, yes, of course. Yes, you will. And I'm really looking forward to see which track do you select as the name for it. I oh yeah, I'll find a good one. But yeah, Bruno Bruno is also a big hip hop fan, so you have Bruno. you know a few critics here. Okay, uh, waiting for that name. All right. Thank you, Pete. Have a Thank good one. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Cheers. That does it for this week, folks. Thanks to Philippe and Mario for opening up their minds, help us figure out why they do what they do. Links to get in touch with Philippe and Mario and learn more about CrowdClass are in the show notes on our website, moneyneversleeps.ie. So check us out online. Also, thanks to Conan Brophy from CreateSound for mixing and editing this episode. Conan is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I'm an early stage startup investor and advisor focused on where fintech meets crypto and crypto meets Web3. If you'd like to talk to me about your business, drop me a line on info at moneyneversleeps.ie. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya!